This is a message from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. We pray that it will encourage you in your walk of faith. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Youssef or Leading the Way, please visit ltw.org. I think every one of us can testify to the fact that at some point in our lives, or maybe you're going through it even now, where you felt defeated, discouraged, and perhaps hopelessly despondent. And perhaps you said to yourself at that point, it's too late for me. It's just too late for me. I have sinned beyond God's forgiving me. It is too late for me. I have blown it big time, and it's too late for me. Too late to restore that broken relationship, or it's too late to seek forgiveness, or it's too late to give forgiveness. It's too late to be mightily used of God to make a difference in the world. It's too late to accomplish great and mighty things for God. It's just too late for me. The concept of too late can invade every mind, and it's too late for me to revive that dream that God once gave me. It's just too late to be restored into full health, or it's too late to receive that victory over my sin or over my weaknesses or over my inadequacies, or whatever they may be. The question is, what do these defeatist statements have in common? I want to tell you that they all authored and published by Satan's publishing company. You know, one of the greatest examples in the Scripture, it doesn't even need explanation, it's the greatest example of the fact that two people who equally sinned, and they sinned around the same time within three days of each other, and their sins are equal in the sight of God. One was restored and mightily used of God, and the other took his own life. The difference? One believed that it's never too late with God, and it's never too late for him to be forgiven and restored and used by God. The other went out and took his own life. I'm talking, of course, about Peter and Judas Iscariot. They both equally denied Jesus They both equally betrayed their friend and Savior, Jesus. They both equally sinned against God, and yet Judas' sin led him to say, it is too late for me. And yet his sin was not greater than that of Peter when he denied his Lord. But the difference was Judas believed that it's too late, and therefore he took his own life. But Peter believed in the power of God's forgiveness and grace and mighty power to restore him and use the fallen. God specializes in using the repentant sinner. And one fell in the trap of hopelessness, but the other chose to throw himself on the mercy and the grace of God. One believed Satan's gospel of despair, and yet the other placed his full trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace of Jesus Christ and the mercy of Jesus Christ. One allowed the rope to hang around his neck and kill him. The other one used the rope to climb up into the mercy of God. One said, it's over. The other said, it's never over until I die. It's never too late. And that is why in his first epistle, you notice Peter focuses so much on the word hope. The hope. The hope. You see it repeated all over the place. Beloved, we worship the God of hope. 
And that is why Peter, in that first epistle, in chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, he says, our hope is grounded in Christ Himself, and His resurrection guarantees our inheritance. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he said, our hope is ongoing. It is not temporary, and it's not occasional, but ongoing, day in and day out. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, he said, our hope is as sure as Christ Himself. And then in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he said, the purpose of our hope is our greatest testimony to the world. In fact, it's the greatest defense for the gospel that we can give to the world. Today, I'm beginning a new series of messages from 2 Peter, and I'm calling it, It's Never Too Late, for a reason, and you will become apparent as we go through the series, but I'm just introducing it today. Second Peter is one of those epistles that's seldom preached from. It is seldom quoted by preachers. It's one of those things. And yet, it is filled with encouragement. It is filled with warnings against uh, subtle spiritual deceptions that seem to be invading churches all across the land today. We're facing so much deception today, and that epistle is saying, wake up, wake up, don't fall for the deception that the world is preaching and the false preachers are preaching. In fact, as I began to study the passage afresh and look at it with fresh eyes, I am convinced that it is written for our day. Today, my beloved friends, you know this and I know this, that discernment, discernment among church-going folks, discernment on the part even of some of the elect is so lacking that it is discouraging at times. The despondency and the lethargy on the part of many a church who refuse to stand up and be counted is enough to discourage us at times. The attitude, well, it's too late. We can't do anything about it. It's pervading our society, pervading our churches. Beloved, it is time for the people of God to rise up, to stand up, and stand for the truth of the gospel. Now let us look at those first verses of 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a doulos, an apostle of Jesus Christ. The one thing that you notice, I use the Greek word for, not the English word for, for a reason. Most people skip through it and don't really give it enough attention, but if to Peter, this is a very important word. Peter is saying, hey, I'm not ashamed to call Jesus my friend. No. He didn't say, well, I'm not ashamed of calling Jesus that I'm his follower. No. Or he's not ashamed of calling that, hey, I was the chief apostle, the chief disciple of Jesus. No. I'm not ashamed to be called the doulos of Jesus. Can you say that with me? The doulos of Jesus. And he chooses that word deliberately. Perhaps his mind going back to the doulos who worked in the chief priest's house, the servant, the slave, to whom he denied Jesus three times. The doulos of Jesus. I'm the bond servant. I'm the bond slave of Jesus. Peter, who once denied his Savior and his Lord and his friend Jesus to a slave girl, he is saying, now I am proud to call myself the slave, bond slave of Jesus. Think about this. For over three years, 
Peter walked with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He lived with Jesus. In fact, Jesus came and spent many a night in Peter's house. More than that, he promised Jesus, he said, if they all deny you, I will not. And yet, when the chips were down, he denied any knowledge of him to our slave girl, and even with cursings. So now, he describes himself as the slave of Jesus. Although Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Peter is saying, yes, I understand that, but I choose to call myself a bond slave of Jesus. In a society that does not consider a slave even a human being, he is saying, I am honored to call myself bond slave of Jesus. In a culture where slaves are considered to be slightly better than animals, and a culture where the term doulos is so demeaning, even in a normal, polite conversation, Peter says, I am proud to call myself the doulos of Jesus. Why is that so important? Why am I dwelling on it? Listen to me. Here's what a doulos means. It's not just a title that you take on yourself. But a doulos of Jesus means that I am totally owned and operated by Jesus, that I'm totally possessed by Jesus, that I'm totally at the disposal of Jesus, that I have unquestioned obedience to Jesus, and that I'm constantly, regardless of what I do for living, I am in the service of Jesus. Not only that, but he said, I'm also the sent one. I didn't come on my own authority. I didn't come because I think it's a good thing. I didn't come because it's a lucrative job. I am sent. I am apostle. I'm the sent one. And beloved, this is very important in any leadership in the Christian life. It's very important. Leadership is serving Jesus' agenda, not ours, not the church, not the denomination. Leadership is serving Jesus' plan, not ours. Leadership in Jesus' service is placing Jesus' word above man's word. That was not always understood by Peter himself. That was not always the attitude of old Simon before he became Peter. This was the attitude of Simon was different from this attitude of Peter, the new Peter. Here's a fact. Listen to me very carefully, please. The moment you come to Jesus Christ, and the moment you confess your sins, and the moment you receive His forgiveness and His eternal life and salvation, that moment you're going to have the old you and the new you, as Galatians said, in a state of war, the spirit warring against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. Let me tell you something. Every one of us, including your pastor, have an old Simon in all of us. It is the Simon of self-centeredness. It is the Simon of self-will. It is the Simon of self-adequacy. It is the Simon is boastful and braggadocious. Simon the proud. Simon that gets credit for everything. The Simon of self-importance. The Simon who's up and down all the time depending on the circumstances. But when Christ came into our lives, He gave us a new life. We became a Peter, the servant. Now the bond servant. The shepherd who feeds on the Word of God. Then you, Peter, the shepherd who feeds others upon the Word of God. 
the shepherd who leads people into the presence of God, the shepherd who cares for God's people through the Word of God. And that can only happen when you come face to face with the fact that both faith that we believe and righteousness that we receive both come from the Christ of the cross. The person who says, for whatever reason, whatever reason, young or old, doesn't matter, for whatever reason, well, you know, it's too late for me. It's too late for me to do this. It's too late for me to do the other thing. That person does not understand that Jesus' righteousness is fully covering us, the redeemed. Here's the Holy Spirit strategy here, speaking through Peter in this epistle, in both of epistles, in all of the Scripture. But here it becomes so clear. Here's the strategy. It is something simple that most of you would understand, that the best defense is an excellent what? God bless you. <laughs> you made my day. I studied the game when my son Jonathan was playing football. In the game, the offensive line protects the quarterback. If there is any weakness in that defensive line, the quarterback's safety is in jeopardy. Why? The hostile defense will come bearing down on him, and when they sack the quarterback, he is in jeopardy. The game is in jeopardy. Here, Peter's greatest concern that this is the last word he's writing to the believers. His biggest concern is that for the believers not to be deceived. And here, what he wants to do, he wants to explain that their possession of the power of God through the Spirit of God is unquestioned, that when they received Christ, they received everything. Their unquestioned power to be on the offense is God's gift to them. Like the offensive lineman, he is trying to protect all of us who are right behind him. How? By telling us that Christ not only gave us salvation and eternal life, but He also gave us His righteousness, not ours. The Bible said self-righteousness to God's in His own sight looks like a dirty rag. So no one could ever say, no one could ever say, oh, it's too late for me. At any point of your Christian life, whether you're young or old, it makes no difference. No one can say, oh, it's too late for me. Christ gave us both grace and peace. Why did He do that? To keep on transforming us every single day to the likeness of Jesus Christ, seeing that His divine power has granted us everything. How many? Everything. Has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through true knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and excellence. Let me ask you a question. What had happened in your life in the last week, two weeks, quarter, year? Suit yourself, whatever works for you. What happened in your life that could not have happened had there been no Holy Spirit? Please, answer the question to yourself. Let me rephrase it. 
How did you draw on the divine power that you already received? Himirat, please, this is important. Having received this divine power when you came to Christ, it's indisputable. Look at the verse again. Let me give you a different translation. His divine power has given us all things. How many? Pertaining to life. You know, sometimes I hear people when they pray, I said, oh, God, give us more power. Now, wait a minute. I want to stop. Stop the prayer meeting. (laughs) He already gave us all the power we need. The problem is not that He has not given us the power. The problem is we're not appropriating the power that He gave us. Verse 4 tells us how to appropriate this divine power. And uh, there are some people who actually think that God somehow sort of miserly drip-drabs His grace and His power, and He's kind of a very chinchy God, you know, gives you a little bit, and then you ask for more, and He gives you a little bit, He gives you more. No, no, no. The Word of God is that He gave us everything. The word precious here means not only it's costly, it's priceless, it's precious, but it says it means also that He generously gave it. And that is why those who say, oh, it's too late for me, they're insulting the promises of God. They're insulting the Word of God. They're insulting the gifts of God. And the word precious here again is one of those favorite words for the Apostle Peter. Just like in the first epistle, the word hope is a favorite word. Here in the second epistle, the word precious is very important to him. It's very special to him. He tells us about the precious blood of Jesus. He tells us about the precious faith that Jesus gave us. He tells about the precious promises that we have in Jesus. And Peter probably is thinking of the time when he was sitting with Jesus, and Jesus said, it is better for you that I go to the Father, because when I go to the Father, I send you the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, right on schedule, God poured out His Holy Spirit, and He's been dwelling in the believers ever since. Amen. 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 Now, we are partakers of the divine nature of Christ. Because the Holy Spirit came in us, and as we appropriate those promises, and we know that we have become partakers through the indwelling Spirit in the divine nature of Christ, when the Spirit of God possesses us. The question is, I wonder when was the last time did you actually appropriated the blessings and the power that God has given you. I was thinking, how can I explain this? In case somebody's still sitting there and said, well, what's this appropriating of the power and so forth? Let me give you a, a human illustration. Illustration is never perfect, but let me give you just something from every day you can relate to. Because sometimes I see believers after they gave their life to Christ, and, and they may go to church and they go to Bible study, but they're living their Christian life in shambles. They really are. They're constantly in defeat. They're constantly discouraged. They constantly need propping up. And it would be like somebody who decided to deposit $100,000 in my bank account. Meanwhile, I don't know about it. I've never really went and cashed any checks on it. And whether I may know about it in theory, but I'm not really sure whether I can get it. Whatever reason is going on in my head, I live my life in shambles. I mean, I'm in utter poverty. My car is about to be repossessed. My house is about to be foreclosed on. Yet the money is sitting in my bank account. 
Verses 3 and 4, look at them again with me. Now, here's a Yusuf translation. Hopefully, it will help again. Here's the first part of chapter 3. Please, please realize the divine power that is given to you. Appropriate it. Paul puts it the same way in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what we think or imagine, here it comes. Here it comes. You ready for it? According to the power that works within us. Where does it work? You have it. God supplied the believer with his spiritual power is beyond question. It's beyond question. It's repeated throughout the Scripture. Now, when somebody says, well, I'm not living in that power, I'll tell you why. What happens is that we choose to destine ourselves away from the power of God. How? By continuously living in sin and rationalizing that sin we don't separate ourselves from Christ because nothing separates from the love of God. But we separate ourselves from that power. Instead of appropriating it, we're actually separating ourselves from it. There are some f- people fail to use the power of God to appropriate it because of willful disobedience to the Word of God. It has nothing to do with the fact that God has given it to you. But what, all of that does not mitigate the fact that He's given it to us. The Word granted, that He granted it to us, is in the perfect passive participle. Well, what does that mean? It means that He gave us to us in the past when we came to Christ, when we came to Him by faith and received forgiveness and eternal life. But the continuous results of that gift, it goes on day after day after day until we go to heaven. Now, beloved, Please listen to me. God's gifts are permanent. God's gift of salvation is permanent. God's gift of justification by faith is permanent. God's gift of reconciliation is permanent. God's gift of redemption is permanent. God's gift of grace is permanent. But the believer who's constantly living in a state of defeat is doing this. Instead of learning how to appropriate the power that's given to them, they think, ah, what I need is a new experience. Have you met some like that? (laughs) I need to go on a spiritual high. Uh, What I need is private revelation. Or what I need is a deeper life. Or what I need is to get myself in the place where I can get into an emotional high. And that's going to help me. they are forever feeling that there's something missing in their life. And so they go from place to place, from experience to experience, looking for it, whatever it is. (laughs) He gave us how many? Everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything. So before you go running around looking for it, (laughs) whatever it may be, kneel on the promises of God. Begin to appropriate what you already have. Start writing checks on that account. (laughs) Start using that blessing that He already gave you. Please listen carefully. That is why, as believers, 
we must feel eternally secure. But not only God gave us His divine power, but secondly, He gave us His divine promises. He already said all, the first before, all applies for all these things. The divine promises, the all yours. He has granted us, or He has gifted us, or He has endowed us with all precious, magnificent promises. The Lord bestowed all of these incredible blessings and promises on us so that we may become partakers of the divine nature. Jesus came down so that He may take us up. Jesus took on our human nature so that He may impart on us His divine nature. Jesus died so that we may live forever. At the communion time, when you walk down these aisles and you receive the bread and the wine, you are a partaker of the elements. In the spiritual realm, it works the same way. As we renew our covenant with Christ every single day on a daily basis, as we appropriate the promises of God on a daily basis, we become partakers of His divine nature and appropriate of His promises. You see, Peter was fighting false teaching, heretical teaching. I was sneaking into the church. It's some of the stuff we see in many in the mainline churches and even some evangelical churches today because so much of the Eastern mysticism has sneaked into many a Christian church today where the emphasis on the importance of attaining transcendental knowledge. And Peter is saying, when you become born again, you got it all, so live like it. You have everything you need for life and for godliness. You have how many? And so, my beloved friend, the moment you find yourself getting into despair, the moment you find yourself becoming despondent, the moment you say, oh, it's too late now. It's too late for me. Remember the precious promises. Proverbs thirteen twelve says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Many of us have heard this or may have said this when we were young and say, what are you going to do when you grow up? And many kids would say, president. Well, there was a man who became president, Abraham Lincoln. Oh, but he had to overcome a whole lot of obstacles, insurmountable, horrendous obstacles. But as a boy, he believed that God made him that promise that he would be president. And so he kept on trusting the promise of God. When he was a boy, he used to husk some corn for three days a week in order to save enough money so he can buy a second-hand copy of The Life of Washington. After reading that book, he told Mrs. Crawford, for whom he was working, that I don't always intend to be chucking corn. (laughs) And Mrs. Crawford asked him, what do you want to be when you grow up? He said, I'll be president. And Mrs. Crawford laughed and said to him, and I quote, she said, you would make a pretty president with all of your tricks and jokes. Then Lincoln said, I will study, and I'll get ready when the chance come, and the chance did come, and he became president. 
after so many horrendous failures, so many setbacks, so many disappointments, and yet he continuously trusted in the promise of God and never gave up. He never said, well, it's too late for me. I failed running for Congress twice, and I failed. It's too late for me. I tried to be a good lawyer, and I failed. It's too late for me. To live victorious Christian life, to accomplish great and mighty things for God in your life, to achieve victory over whatever is plaguing you, to overcome whatever temptation comes your way, you will be able to do it because you know that only faith from God, but also the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus gave us what? How many? All. All. But there may be somebody here today who have never really given their life to Jesus, never surrendered their life to Christ, and they don't know what I'm talking about. What's this victory you're talking about? I'm living in desperation. Well, today, you can give Him your life, and you can say, Lord Jesus Christ, you died on that cross to save me, forgive my sins and guilt and shame. And then you can walk down that aisle, participate at His table. This is His table. And begin to live in victory every single day. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, it's Your Spirit who inspired these words to give them to Your servant Peter, a man who failed miserably and yet He believed and trusted in the restoring power of God. And whether in this beautiful sanctuary or somebody watching around the world, whatever discouragement, whatever despondency, whatever defeat a person is living in, may it be today, the day they begin to learn to appropriate the power of God that is within us, that was given to us by the Holy Spirit, the gift of God. Father, as we see the day draw nigh and we see apostasy seem to be running wild in the churches, help us, your remnant, to stay faithful. But not just sit on our blessed assurance, but to take that word out and share it with others. Encourage those who are discouraged. Motivate others. Let the word of God dwell richly in us so that we may serve you with all of our hearts, for it is in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.